0: Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on the Sunday in the news bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter seven, beginning in verse 21 to the end of verse 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. apart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to thee, Lord Christ. Well, welcome back to the Christ Church Oceanside Podcast. Uh, this week we are continuing our studies of the Gospel of St. Matthew. We're still in chapter 7 here, but this will be the last kind of warning text that we're looking at um, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount before we move uh, to a new series on building your house on the rock. But today we've got a big text here, and it's one that holds a lot of promise But also, serious warning um, and clarification for us, which I think is ultimately really helpful. Now, at the heart of this text, and when we near the end of it, is this warning Jesus uses four words to communicate the qualifier for us to gain entrance into his kingdom. And those four words are this I never knew you. It is Relational language of knowing and being known truly. Where he begins, though, is with making himself clear about himself. Somehow in all of this, Jesus is saying that we can't be known by Jesus unless Jesus is rightly known to us. So he's being very open and honest here. Because he gets to self-determine and he gets to self-identify who exactly he is and who he is to us. And he will not stand for being known, I'm doing finger quotes right now, as a celebrity or as an idea or someone else's projections of who they think he should be. And he will not change himself to fit anyone else's expectations of him. Why? Because he's God. He is Yahweh. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And he is who he says he is. So clarifying who he is to us helps set us up for a real relationship with him. So that there is no guesswork. Why? Because that's the nature of a healthy relationship. Jesus is being clear about who he is, his convictions, and what and how he is offering himself. And he has to do this because he's so dang attractive. <laughs> I think that's that's the truth of this, is that he's attractive not in appearance, but in essence, in what he is accomplishing and what he's offering. And it's common to hear of the salvation which Jesus offers, like forgiveness and healing and restoration and life in his good kingdom, and have that resonate meet our needs and our wants, those internal echoes of Eden that say, I want in on this. I think it's the natural response of the deepest parts of our hearts in seeing him clearly. And then we rightly say, you are my Lord. You're my king. You're my savior. You're the one I want to follow. And this is good. But there are other parts of our hearts which are okay with us calling Jesus Lord, but actually want to continue living in rebellion against him. And we all see those films and read those books and those stories that are about that, this quest of good against evil. And then somebody signs up to be a part of the cause for good, but secretly there's a part of them that's betraying the cause. Some loyalties in us, especially to self-preservation and self-provision, resist bowing to Jesus. So this is what brings us to verse 21. Jesus is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because of this, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord will enter his kingdom. That's the point here. And remember, the kingdom is the realm of his rule and reign and goodness, which has and is and will supplant the kingdom of darkness. And we want to be in that good kingdom. So what else is needed other than just saying, I, I call Jesus Lord, I call him my king, I call him my savior, I follow him. What else is needed? Jesus qualifies that but it is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is a hugely important clarification that Jesus is saying, it's not just enough to call me your Lord or call me your Savior. There has to be a transformation that takes place inside of the person where they are now doing the will of the Father in heaven, And notice the distance that we've traveled when we began the Sermon on the Mount to now, we began with the Beatitudes, where we finally come into the presence of true safety and relief from this world, where our humanness can be honest and say, I am spiritually poor, I am grieving, I am weak and helpless, I am starving for something good in this world. That like desperation that we've had nowhere for it to land, that comes out on Jesus. And God in Jesus says, then you are blessed for these are the very reasons I have come and I will establish my kingdom. That's the good news is that Jesus feels so ridiculously safe. It pulls that out of us where we can be honest. And then he's saying on behalf of God and as God, This is what qualifies you for salvation. But the temptation that always arises is to receive this good news as a comfort and and a comfort to these much-needed places for the ongoing impact of sin upon our lives. But then Jesus states that the kingdom, though, is for those who do the will of my Father. This means a salvation from and a salvation to. We're saved from sin to the will of the Father. Saved from doing sin to doing what is good. This means the kingdom is for those who lived one way, stuck in a sinful state, and now live in His way because of this salvation. Just as the sins committed by me and the sins committed against me resulted in me not loving others, the love and salvation of Jesus for me and the love of Jesus by me, like me loving Jesus, should result in love for others. It's the same grace that both forgives, heals, and strengthens that seeks to make us merciful towards others, to make us pure in heart. This is the end of the rest of the Beatitudes. To make us peacemakers in a world at war and willing to suffer for the sins of others. This is is the arc of the Beatitudes, is to start in desolation, but then come to a place of fullness of life in love. Following Jesus, must result in a reception of grace for yourself and a reception of grace for you to give away. This is the will of the Father, that we be saved from idolatrous self-worship unto selfless living. And we cannot say that we have been loved by God and love God while continuing to hate and continuing to withhold and continuing to fight with all and any. This is what John's getting at. In chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 of his first epistle. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. This is the whole of the gospel. If we're really in him, if we're really united to his saving light, then it makes us light. And so we have to beware that our hearts will try and hide. That will say in one part of our hearts, I am saved, I am in Jesus, and I am trusting in Jesus. But then in another part of our heart, we will hide our need for Jesus. We will hide from further transformation. We will hide from grace. And we'll give permissions to doing things that are not of and from love. We have to beware but then Jesus goes on to say this. Not only will we hide from our need for grace, we will hide behind specific things. We'll hide behind our gifts and our good works. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Jesus is anticipating that so-called followers of him will feel the need to offer a rebuttal up to him at the last judgment, where they will appeal to their deeds and gifts as proof of their righteousness. This is wild, but I could see it in me. I could see where I would do this. The three examples that Jesus gives are prophecy in his name, exorcisms in his name, and mighty works in his name. So here are three kind of consistent Like, I think they get at the heart of something here. You know, for someone like me to go, look, I I taught the gospel well, I hope, or I taught the scriptures, or I proclaimed you to the world. It'd be easy to say, I'm going to hide behind that while in my heart be far from him. The second is exorcisms in his name. And this is an interesting point because it's this idea of actually participated in pushing back the kingdom of darkness in people's lives. That might look like healings. That might look like casting out evil spirits. But here's these like works of power. And then the last category is mighty works in his name. You know, we pulled off big programs or built a big church or did good things for you. But here's the... The root of this is to go, look at all the good that I'm doing. It's like the older brother in the parable of the two sons or of the prodigal son. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 touches on these same, this same principle that Jesus is teaching here. He's saying that prophetic powers, tongues of men and angels, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and having faith to move mountains, even giving away all that you have. This is interesting and delivering up your body to be burned. So a willingness to part with all of your earthly goods and a willingness to die for the name of Jesus, but to not have love inside. Paul says that we gain nothing we don't actually gain the kingdom through these acts. We gain the kingdom through a transformed heart that is saved from selfishness to love. For Jesus and Paul, spiritual gifts are so liberally given and their ease in utilizing them so basic that they should not be used as a source of measuring spiritual maturity. This is wild. These are the very things that we hold up as the marks of maturity in the church today. But Jesus and Paul are saying this stuff, this stuff is just a sign of God's generosity. He gives it out a lot to anyone, to everyone. But what's really important is the inner life of the person. That's the measure. It's not their spiritual abilities. It's the motivations of the heart that reveal their proximity to Jesus. Specifically, a genuine desire to love. And listen to how Paul describes what true Christian maturity is. It makes sense of the Sermon on the Mount and how this lifestyle would look. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three But the greatest of these is love. Hear it. But here's where it comes around. In verse 23, Jesus then says this, And then will I declare to you. So those who come trying to prop up their good works and giftings and accomplishments, but do not have love, Jesus will say, I declare to you, I never knew you. I I, I didn't know you. It's right that you depart from me. Because if you're honest, you're a worker of lawlessness. Let's break down those three key pieces. I never knew you. If you knew me, you'd know I was love. And you'd know I was love because you experienced that love. So much so that you then would have lived for love. And if you did not live for love, if you did not love others, then you didn't know me at all. And it's time to be honest about that. And if that's the case, it's right. That now on the cusp of eternity and the establishing of my kingdom, Jesus is saying, depart from me. The consequence of having rejected Jesus, knowing him, and having rejected love, makes sense to not be with him. Remember, Jesus is always honoring the wishes of the heart. He's never giving us what is not already being demanded by us. He knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. And then categorizes it like this. You're a worker of lawlessness. The work of salvation that Jesus is seeking to do is to write the law of love upon the human heart. This is a central aspect to salvation. Selfishness is lawlessness. I think the graphic novel in the TV show The Walking Dead about the zombie apocalypse does a great job of actually showcasing this reality. Selfishness, every man for himself, leads to lawlessness, which is the antithesis it's the absolute opposite of the kingdom of god the kingdom of goodness it's consuming constantly and so the walking dead always shows this kind of tension of here a disease comes into the world that turns humans into cannibalistic monsters while at the same time the humans that are quote unquote alive are monsters, most of them. A life that is loveless towards all is a life that is lawless, and a life that is lawless is godless. An eternity that is godless is hell without love. Love never gives permission or justification to evil, whether large or small. True love doesn't do that. So to make light of God's coming judgment, I think, is to betray love. And love never lessens the seriousness of sin. And love dies to save us from sin and free us from evil. Christian orthodoxy says that your heart and soul are eternally valuable. The way you live your life is of eternal significance. And the one with whom you can entrust it all to is Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the highest good, saves us from our part in rebellion against goodness, and empowers us to live and grow into more and more expressions of love. To wrap up that whole section, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, I like to imagine that every judgment that Jesus makes on that last day will elicit agreement from the person being judged. That all humanity's self-deceptions will be removed and our justifications will fl- will fall flat as we too see the truth and say, when Jesus says, I never knew you, the response would be, that's true. I don't know you and that's fair. And when Jesus says, depart from me, the person would say, I should depart from you. For my heart and my works have lived by no law but my own. This is the truth. And I think that Jesus will bear the truth, will reveal the truth on that day. At least that's how the scriptures seem to talk about it. But here's the good news. If knowing Jesus to the point of life transformation is required for salvation, and Jesus has come to make that salvation possible, then Jesus is able to make himself known to you and to me in re- real, deep, meaningful, transformative relationship. That's, that's what we really desire. We want to know Jesus to the point where we are changed by Jesus. We want to know Jesus and be loved by Jesus and be remade for love in Jesus. And so it requires an urgency of faith, just as we desperately saw our need for salvation when we first received Jesus and urgently received to saving intervention by faith that saved us from judgment and the eternal consequences of our rebellion and the guilt and the shame and the self-hatred that hung over us. Now we're seeing the reality of our need, of our inability to change ourselves. The only solution to that has to be believing more in Jesus. Believing in Jesus specifically for our inability to love. Believe in him to make you Able to love the way you know you were meant to. To give to others in the same way in which he has given to you. And to want to do that genuinely, seriously, truly, not to do it because it's the pattern that Christians do, not to do it because you just see it historically that we live generously and we give ourselves and we even lay our lives down for the name of Jesus. No, we do it because we love Jesus. Because he's everything. Because to part with things is to have more of him, and to die is to live with him. It's all about him and him only. That the desire to live for love and graciously and without grudges and without anger and without lust and without betrayals and without lies, the reason we want to live this way is because of Jesus. I want to be freed from my anger because I found peace in being loved by Jesus. So, all of this, this picture of salvation that Jesus is clarifying to say, Look, I'm here and I want you to be saved, but this is what it looks like. It's not just salvation as comfort from sin, it's freedom from sin and the ability to do good. And the way is through fellowship. The way to this is to know that he is the epitome of love, to know that he loves you enough to know you, and to die for you, and to raise you, and to be with you forever. How astounding. How astounding is that love. There is no love like that in this world but in him. Know that he is loving you now and will love you always. Know that he has made you for love by writing the law of love on your heart. And know that he is empowering you to love. So it's time, I think, for us to become more specific about going, Jesus is the only goal, to be with him, to know him, and be known by him. And salvation looks like being loved unto being able to love. So our faith needs to get more specific, specific about who we're pursuing, specific about where we're not loving. we got to start being more honest and confessing and repenting of that, and specific about the love we want to be able to do, specific about the love we want to pursue, and specific about the steps we want to take this week. We don't just want to hear about it. We want to live it. We want to be living, breathing examples of this gospel saving this heart, making me able to live this way. And Jesus is saying it's so necessary that it's a linchpin moment. It's a defining factor of our entrance into his kingdom. So that means there must be more grace available to have this be true of our lives. There must be change possible. There must be transformation available. It must be in him for us in order for it to be essential. So all of this turns back to, is he good enough? Is he strong enough? Has he saved us to the uttermost? Is he worthy of my faith to go, no, for real, this is the part of me that I need to be saved from. And this is the thing I know you've made me for. Jesus, make me able. And taking step towards that future. The promise is then, when we stand before him on that day, he'll say, I know you. Come be with me let us live and build in a kingdom of goodness built on the law of love this beloved is the way of jesus may this inspire us to an urgency of faith to trust in him enough to receive it